Hey, Soma family in Federal Way. It's good to be with you, kind of. I wish I could be with you, but I'm honored to serve you uh, in this way today. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Dawson Jones, and uh, I'm recording this from Slovakia in Eastern Europe. And some of you might know that my uh, family and I, we've been serving in a church in a city called Nitra here for the past few years, but at the end of August, we will be moving to Tacoma to serve Soma Tacoma. And I do just want to take this moment before we read Matthew 7 to thank you, uh, thank your leaders for the way you've served the Soma Tacoma family. Uh, ever since November uh, 14th, uh, when Soma lost uh, one of her shepherds. And so you have just been so generous and, um, and kind and, and patient and uh, just appreciate the way that you've given time, energy, resources to the care of, of your sister church. So thank you for that. And like I said, we will be continuing in your uh, in your Flourish series, Sermon on the Mount. So we can open up Matthew 7, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses of that chapter. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. Now often, uh, just a little behind the scenes on preparing a sermon, often after studying, I'll, I'll be looking for some sort of picture or metaphor or story, something that can get us into the topic we're going to talk about right at the beginning. And this time, I didn't have to think about it because Jesus does that for us. Jesus uh, offers us this metaphor, this picture. We have this illustration of two people, and one has a speck in their eye, right? A little splinter or something. And the other has a log, a plank. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but that's a funny picture. I mean, that could very easily be like a, um, a Saturday, night, Saturday Night Live skit or, or maybe... A Monty, a Monty Python sketch, uh, which I would prefer. 
Um, you know, John Cleese, Eric Idle, picture a carpenter's workshop and, and John's working there. And, and suddenly you just, you, you see this, maybe this big old branch coming onto the set. You don't know what that is. And turns out out of Eric's eye, this giant branch, this log is coming out and he enters in and John's working and he, he's like, Whoa, he's like, Hey, uh, you, you okay there? Uh, and I, you have something, this giant thing in your eye. And Eric's like, no, I don't. It's like, no, no, you really do. He's like, no, I don't. But then as he, with this, this giant branch coming out of his eye, he comes over to John and he's like, but, but wait, you, you do have this little piece of something. He, can you picture it? 10 minutes of that. And I didn't dare try to do it uh, in the British accent, but you can, I mean, that's a funny picture for 10 minutes, him denying that, that there's something wrong. And at the same time with the branch getting in the way, trying to help uh, his friend, right? Jesus gives us this picture. And I, I think that his listeners uh, probably laughed at it. It's a funny picture. It's, it's funny in part because it just rings so true, right? It's funny because it's true. We're so quick to judge others and to excuse ourselves. We have a different standard when we're judging others than ourselves. We see other people's mistakes very quickly, ours not so much. I found this uh, this kind of review of different studies uh, online, the Scientific American, the, the title of it alone is, is funny. It, it was, you aren't as beautiful as you think. And it was studying the phenomenon in psychology that, that's called the uh, superiority complex. And basically it's this phenomenon where you, you think you're, um, uh, you have a preference to yourself. You think you're better than others. So like the study would be like, they would take, take some pictures of different people and you had to just rate how attractive they are on a scale from one, which is like ugly to supermodel 10, right? And what would happen is when it was other people, they'd, they'd kind of rate them on average, you know, like a lot of the three to seven, like kind of that middle range. But, but when people are supposed to rate themselves, they, they slid the scale over and everyone basically rated themselves between a six and an eight. And other studies said that 80% of people think they're more attractive than the average person. Or uh, they did another test, uh, another study with drivers, and um, up to 90% assumes that they are a, a above average driver. Uh, another one was with teachers, and 70% of teachers assume that they are in the top quadrant of, uh, of best teachers, which not only means that they think they're doing a pretty good job, but their colleagues are, are not. And my favorite one might be... Um, a, it, it's quite ironic, a study where it was asking people to uh, rate their own self-awareness. And of course, the majority of people um, assumes that they have better self-awareness than others, which is a problem. So many of us have this, uh, this superiority complex and we're oblivious to it. We judge others strictly and quickly. But when we self-assess, we get a little lazy and 
inconsistent. And Jesus says, careful, don't judge or you'll be judged. Now, if you've been following along uh, with Soma Federal Way in this series, then you've noticed there's a lot of Jesus's phrases that have just kind of made their way into our own colloquial way of saying things, but often they're misquoted or they're just um, understood completely differently. This one might win the prize uh, because like, honestly, don't judge. I'm not judging. I mean, that's a very hipster thing to say. Don't judge or you won't be judged. Uh, that that's a, that's a Pacific Northwest thing to say. Be tolerant. I'm not judging. But that's not what's happening here, okay? The Sermon on the Mount is one talk, right? Jesus is giving one talk, but it really has three parts. Uh, the first chapter, chapter 5, talks about God as king. And Jesus has given this emphasis on the, the, the kingdom and what it looks like for God to be king. And chapter six talks about God as father. And what does that, that, that mean, that knowing God as father? And then chapter seven, if you were to give a summary to it, Jesus is really introducing God as judge. And, and what does that mean for our everyday lives? And in this chapter, Jesus says a few things. In, in verse 14, he says, the gate is narrow and not all will enter. It's going to be this judgment. He compares people to good and bad trees in verse 19, and that the bad trees are going to be burned. And in verse 23, he says, there's going to be some people who think they're doing pretty well with God, and, and Jesus is going to tell them, I didn't know you. That's, that's talking about a God who, who judges. So when Jesus says, hey, don't judge, that sounds tolerant. We're good with that. But Jesus talking about a judging God, not so much. That's, we're not as comfortable with, with that, this picture of God as, as a judge. And maybe some of you are listening to this, and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to do this one today. I'm going to turn this off. Well, hold on. Hold on. I want to tell you right now where this is going. What, what happens here is that Jesus is describing God as a judge but he doesn't in tandem. And as he's, as he's describing God as a judge, he's also describing this God who is a judge as a God who is our dad. The judge is your dad. And it's a good dad. It's a good father. So just, just, just keep that in mind. That's where, it, that's where it's heading. And, and the reality is if we see God rightly as judge, but as a good dad who is my judge, as a judge who, who is my dad, that's going to change things. That's going to change the way I see myself, and it is going to change the way I see others and the way I assess or judge or am gracious with, with others. Let me pray, and we'll spend a, a little bit of time looking at this. Father, we need reintroduction to you again and again daily. Thank you for Jesus, who in this sermon does that. Help us to see you, see you rightly. And help it to change the way we see ourselves and others. Amen. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is NIV. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Don't judge. The consequences are going to be rough. The way you measure others, that's the way you'll get measured. This is something that in Hebrew literature, 
is called poetic justice, or I might maybe call it poetic karma. We have a few examples of this in, in the Old Testament, the Bible. You have Samson, who his eyes, because they were lustful, they got him in trouble. And the poetic justice or karma is that in the end, the Philistines, they, they gouge out his eyes. They pop out his eyes. Poetic karma. Or we have an example, uh, another character, a guy named Absalom, who has this beautiful, long, golden hair that he's very proud of. Um, and in the end, it's, it's his hair that gets him in trouble, and he hangs on a tree by his hair. Poetic justice, poetic karma. That's what's happening here. Don't use a strict rule to judge others because that will be used against you. And we need to hear Jesus for what he is saying. He is saying that God's judgment of, of our life will be according to our life, it seems, as the posture of our hearts are expressed and exposed in our thoughts and actions towards others, there is judgment. Now, careful, when Jesus says, don't judge, he, he doesn't mean don't discern. He doesn't mean don't, don't be naive. In verse 6, he's going to compare some people to dogs and pigs. That sure doesn't sound like someone who's not judging at all. That sounds like someone who's discerning and saying, hey, some people are dogs and pigs. Uh, in verse 15 and kind of all the way to 20, Jesus, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing. Watch out. And that, that's, that's a good warning for all of us to be careful. It's a specific warning to elders, leaders in the church. Be careful. Discern. So when he says don't judge, he's not saying, you know, be tolerant of everything. Absolutely not. So what does he mean when he says don't judge? Well, let's go back to that picture with the speck and the, the plank. That, that explains it. When you have someone who says, hey, brother, I see you have this little speck. I've noticed this speck in your eye, and, and he has a plank. What's going on? That's a picture of a guy who has lost perspective. He's no longer seeing himself rightly. He sees sin in others, but he doesn't see his own. It's like he's on this sin censoring campaign. It's like he has one of those, um, those little TSA security wands, you know, that they use, and, and he's on a sin censoring campaign, looking for sin. Beep! I found some. Found some sin. Beep! He is on a campaign, and he's so committed to his campaign that he's become completely, um, he's, de he's denying the only reality of his own heart. And there's a word for that. It's actually a word that I learned in preparation for this sermon. Uh, maybe some of you know it. It's called censoriousness. And John Stott, uh, he's a British theologian, he, he talks about this censoriousness. He says, censoriousness, that, that censoring, right? Censoriousness is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder, that one, fault finder, who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. 
he puts he, he puts the worst possible construction on on them. He pours cold water on their schemes and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. And worse than that, he continues, to be censorious is to set oneself up as a censor and so to claim the competence and authority to sit in judgment upon one's fellow man. To be censorious is to presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment. It's to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge. In fact, to try to play God. Now, he has a different vocabulary than I do, but he's saying ultimately what we're doing is we're sitting on God's judgment seat. We're pretending we are God the judge. And Jesus says, if that's you, you are a hypocrite. He uses the word hypocrite in verse 5. Now, this is not the word he's talked about. Jesus has talked about hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the first time he's used that word. Um, he, he's, he's used it many times. But what's happening here is this is the first time he's actually using that word to talk about his followers. He often talked about some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees as hypocrites, but right now he's, he's saying, watch out to his disciples, to the followers. You are a hypocrite if you are this campaigning, criticizing, censorious person. Watch out. Watch out. We, we all have the tendency to magnify others' uh, mistakes and, and to... And to minimize my own, we, we often don't realize we have that plank in our eye. We're, we're blind to it. There's a, a, a story that illustrates this in a really uh, specific way in the Old Testament. There's a guy named David who you've probably heard of. He, he was uh, a king and he started looking where he shouldn't and he saw a woman and he kept looking and he decided he wanted her and so he took her and he he kills um, uh, her husband he gets her husband killed so that he can have her and he's becoming very blind to his own sin and so God sends a prophet a guy named Nathan and Nathan similar to Jesus uses this illustration a, a parable to get to David's heart. And I just want to read what happens. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 12. I want to read the parable that Nathan says. So listen to Nathan, but also listen to how David responds. 2 Samuel chapter 12. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for his guest. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, 
As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Verse 7 says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Let's notice. First, let's notice Nathan is the friend we all need. He's the wise mentor we all need. A wise man or woman that can come to us and look at us and give us a direct challenge. He sees things rightly and is able to look at us and say, Hey, you are the man. You are the man. We need these kind of people in our lives. The problem is problem is, is that we often assume that we are to be a Nathan when in fact we are a blind David. David has a plank in his eye. And see, see his rage in this. And, and to be honest, I mean, we need righteous rage in this world, right? In this broken world. Right now, with so much injustice going on around us, there is a place There is a place for righteous rage. As we look at the way our black brothers and sisters are treated, yes, there's a place for righteous rage. But what we see here with David is this this picture of if you have strong feelings towards the sin of others, but you're not addressing the sin in your own life with a merciless fight, you're a hypocrite, you're blind. And I, I was meeting with uh, my, my DNA group, and we, we put it this way. If I am judging more than I'm asking people for forgiveness, then there's something wrong. Do you criticize more than you're asking for forgiveness? If you're not sure, ask your wife or your best friend, your roommate. We are proud hypocrites. We're blind judges. Let's keep going. Verse 6 talks about dogs and pigs. It might seem off. What's he talking about? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It might seem off, but actually what's, what's happening is simply Jesus is bringing balance to what he said. On the one hand, Jesus has already said, don't be quick to judge. But on the other hand, like I've already mentioned, he's saying, hey, don't be foolishly tolerant either. Yes, don't judge. But that doesn't mean you don't see things for what they are. Don't judge. That doesn't mean we're not critical when a critique is truly needed. There's always a moral symmetry to, to everything Jesus teaches us. There's a, there's a balance, a, a wisdom. Wisdom, when we see things clearly, rightly. And Jesus, as always, is calling us to that narrow road. And he says, do not judge. But on the other hand, don't be naive. Be discerning. So that's all I'll say about about that. There's a lot more that could be said. But I just want to ask, how are you doing with this? How are you if... if, uh, if your best friend was to describe you, which of these statements would he choose? Would he say, you're quick to criticize? Or would he say that you're patient in your critique? Like I, I just asked, what would your husband say? Or your wife? Or 
or if uh, you are not married, um, what what would it be like if if you were? What would they say? What would it be like to live with you? Is it uh, is it living with somebody who's quick to point out mistakes, sees um, sees people's shortcomings, sees sees foul motives behind things, or is it someone who's who's gracious and patient, who wants to seek to understand? What, how would people describe you? Are you merciful or are you militant when others make mistakes? If you have kids, how would they describe you? Do you exaggerate others' mistakes and minimize your own? Would you feel comfortable asking this question to people in your missional community or your DNA group, people that see into into you to your life. And maybe you're not allowed judge. Maybe you judge quietly. Maybe it's only pillow talk. It's just you just talk to your to your spouse about that person. Um, I've noticed and I need to confess in my life I do it in a very kind of uh, sub, uh, passive aggressive way subconsciously. I'll I'll talk about a third party. It's not gossip. But it's just like, hey, did you notice this thing about them? And I, I'm realizing what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to communicate, hey, you see that? I'm not like that. Obviously, I'm not because I can see this thing in their life. So I'm obviously in a different place. What am I doing? I'm just trying to feed that superiority complex, right? So what can we do? What What is there to do? How do we break free from this, from from a, a life where we tend to judge, how can we move to a, a flourishing, free life? Well, let me tell you a, a little story. My brother sent me a video recently. He has he has two little kids, and uh, he uh, he has uh, a, a little. I don't know, one, one and a half year old son named Ruben. And in this video that's framed, he's playing with Ruben and he's like throwing him up and he's falling down on his belly and Ruben's just laughing and just, it, he's enjoying it. My brother's laughing. But then in the back, you can see his older son, who's still only about three years old. And, and it's hilarious because uh, about a minute into the video, the older son, Desmond, he, he starts uh, interrupting and he keeps, uh, he keeps saying, hey, 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 dad, I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. You're your older son. I'm Desmond. I, I love you and you and you love me. I'm, I'm the bigger boy. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Why is he doing it? Well, apparently he feels threatened. His little brother has entered into to father-son territory. And uh, what's going on? Why, why is Desmond the older one? Why is he threatened? Well, he's threatened because he doesn't yet know his father's heart. He's threatened because he doesn't know his dad very well yet. And Jesus gives us an introduction to our dad in those next verses. Jesus knows that it's our tendency to, to, to judge quickly, that, that that stems from the reality that we don't know our dad very well yet. And so he introduces him. What kind of dad is he? 
I know that however many people are watching this, that's how many opinions and stories and 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 wounds and and that we have from our dads. But basically, you know, there's two types of dads. There's there's dads that you want to run away from when you're in trouble, and then there's dads that you want to run to when you're in trouble. And Jesus describes the latter. I'm going to read those verses talking about his dad. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened to. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now these verses, are well, I think you're going to look at them more in the coming weeks. It, it's teaching us to pray, but it's also showing us a picture of our dad. A dad that we, we can pray, we can, we can ask and we'll get it. We can seek and we will find what we're seeking for. We can knock and the door will be open. It's a dad that we can go to. And the question is, are we kids that go to him? Do we ask, seek, and knock? People who ask and seek and knock are people who recognize their need. That's a description of needy beggars. You can't get through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and not walk away with a picture uh, that, that we are needy beggars who need God. We don't have anything to offer. We come to God as judge and we have nothing to say in our defense. We honestly do deserve to be judged. But Jesus is contrasting here two realities about our God. And and that's that our, our God who is judge is also our dad, a good dad. Think about it. Think about this. You're, you get in trouble, right? You get caught, and it's serious. And you're, you have a court date, and you get nervous. And for weeks, you're dreading it, and you're sweating, and you're preparing what you'll say and anticipating questions. And it gets closer and closer. And then you wake up that morning, and you try to dress as nice as you can, and you try to get there early, and you're sitting in the lobby, and you're waiting, and this is serious. You could end up, and you're not sure what the consequences are, are going to be. And then finally, they say your name, and you're, you're sweating, and you go over to the door to open up the, the door and walk into the courtroom. And when you do, the judge is your dad. And he's a good dad. He's a good dad. I don't think we'll ever understand the depths of God's grace until we get to the point that like a, like a beggar, I'm pleading for mercy in front of this judge and the judge leans down and lifts up our heads and we see that the judge is a father who loves us. See, part of the gospel that we often miss, it's not just that you were once condemned and now you're forgiven. 
okay? You see that kind of continuum? I was once infinitely in trouble, and now I'm at zero. Now I'm forgiven. No, that's true, but that's half the gospel. I was once condemned. Yes, I'm forgiven, but I'm infinitely good. I'm in good graces with a dad. I'm not condemned. Yes, I'm forgiven, but I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a beloved son. And we go to this judge and and sometimes we're just hoping that he has these papers of pardon. He has something in his hand. I hope that's just, that's our, my pardon. But the reality is he comes and he, he puts those papers down in front of you and it's adoption papers. And it's a dad who kneels down in front of you and says, hello, son, you have everything that I have. You are at home in my house. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Let me know if you need anything. That's the picture that Jesus is describing about our dad, who is our judge. Our judge is his dad and and our dad. And the way we approach our Heavenly Father, the way we understand this reality that He is a judge, we deserve to be judged, but He is a dad and He gives us what we don't deserve, to be beloved sons. If, however we are able to hold that together and approach Him together, that is going to tr- drastically change the way I approach others around us. Or maybe think about it the other way. The way you approach others and judge or are gentle, prideful, or or patient. That exposes how you truly are approaching your dad who is your judge. So how do you approach people? How do you approach the Father? Listen, Soma family, what if you were known in federal way as being intolerant towards sin, but by that I mean your own sin. That you are quick to look and confess, I am broken. What if that was the defining mark of Soma Federal Way, this contrast community in a very tolerant uh, Pacific Northwest environment that are intolerant about their own sin? That, that, that a family where I am more concerned with my own pride than the sexual immorality of my neighbor. Where I am more concerned about my own bitterness that I'm noticing than the, the greed of that politician. What if, what if we were known for that? In Federal Way and Tacoma and all across the Puget Sound, how does this happen? How do we become that type of community, community when we see that we are beggars? And when we know the judge, and he's our dad. And when you hear your dad every day, every morning, grab you by the shoulders and say, you're my beloved son. We were condemned. But the judge's son took that judgment on himself. Those condemned are slow to judge. Condemned sons are slow to judge. Let's pray. God, we were condemned, but we're not only forgiven, we're sons. Help us to be 
to live in the reality of our sonship. Thank you that we are beloved sons and daughters. I pray that that would change us, that it would slow us down, that we would be very patient in seeking out the truth of others, and we would be quick to want to know the truth about ourselves. Thank you, Father, that we have a good dad as our judge. We trust you and ask that you change us. Amen.